I'm super excited for the first episode of Design Grid. Well, uh, you know, music has been a part of all our lives growing up. In 2008, when Spotify launched itself, I think the world saw a super app come into existence. And when products like these usually come out in the market, over a period of time, they widen the horizon of what the industry stands for. It gives rise to new players, emerging businesses, absolutely amazing business ideas, and Spotify did just that. Everyone who's known Spotify would be extremely intrigued by the user experience that the product creates. Today, we're talking to the design team of Spotify. I'm joined by Rakshit Sinha, who's part of Spotify's design team based out of Stockholm, an absolutely smashing conversation on how the product unravels itself, the culture, and anything that you'd really want to understand about the nuances of product design at Spotify. Not just that, Rakshit's been an integral part of some of the most growing startups in India, namely Ola Cabs and Zeta. And across both of these places, Rakshit's been part of building a very, very robust design system. I'm extremely glad I caught up with Rakshit uh, in the middle of the pandemic. And here's an episode that talks everything to do with the design and thinking of Spotify. Enjoy yourselves. Hi, Rakshit. Uh, good morning. Uh, I know you're joining in from Amsterdam. So uh, thank you so much for being a part of Design Grid. It's, it's really, really amazing uh, to host you today. Thanks, Rakshit. Johnny from Stockholm. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, you know, Rakshit, I, I read on your LinkedIn uh, bio that it says that uh, you love to challenge the status quo. I'm going to start with that. Uh, where does where does that stem from? Um, stems from a lot of my personal upbringing. I've uh, always been uh, a non-conformist in my life, um, be it as a, as a student or uh, even growing up. Uh, pretty much, uh, you know, didn't adhere to the accepted norms. Uh, tried and challenged wherever I could, which, whichever I found to be incorrect or out of place. Um, and that kind of transcends into my, my professional career as well, where I've always uh, looked for opportunities uh, which, um, which help me um, kind of uh, work in, in different industries and different setups where the people around me or uh, the, the company itself is trying to go after something which is unconventional. So yeah, I'm from uh, a lot of these different facets. Uh, You've also been associated with companies that have been unconventional in some ways, right? Okay. And try to create and uh, stay ahead of their time uh, across various sectors. That's true. That's true. And that's, I would say, a bit deliberate as well. So um, I would say pretty much from the very beginning, uh, when I joined uh, my, my very first company uh, straight out of campus, uh, the choice was a little unconventional for folks who are MBA graduates. Um, and uh, for me, getting straight into product management um, at a time when product management was, I would say, in its pre-infancy, not even in its infancy in India, was an unconventional choice. Um, but yes, uh, uh, coming to the companies that I've worked for, the products that I've built, uh, and the method that I've adopted wherever I've worked has been slightly unconventional, I would say. Um, I, I can um, I can start with the companies for sure. Like uh, in the case of Ola Play, uh, 
one company that's come top of our mind. I mean, I probably can count on my fingertips companies which have even tried in the past of putting uh, an infotainment system or a connected car ecosystem in a ride-sharing environment. Um, there have been companies that have tried and failed. Uh, Ola has tried and, and I would say done it pretty successfully. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there, there, there are a bunch of such examples uh, of, of companies which uh, are doing something which is unconventional. Zeta, for example, comes to the top of my mind. We are trying and try, trying to do API banking. Uh, we are not the first, but yes, we are definitely trying to do it, which is more India-centric uh, and trying to make it um, uh, uh, you know, very, very open, uh, the whole concept of banking. Um, I, I like how you're associating yourself still with each of those companies uh, in a way that you know, you're still associated with those people in the journey of building what they're building today. So it, it, it's actually really great. Uh, absolutely. I think we leave behind a part of ourselves wherever we have worked. We leave our mark on whichever products that we've built. Uh, and of course, in terms of the people that we've worked with or people who we have managed or people who have managed us, we respect it. It, it, it always stays with you. Moving to present day and, and having a career that spans across so many different organizations, what's your motivation to keep going to work every single day? I think... Um, pretty much the sentence you said at the beginning, which is challenging the status quo. Um, I guess that's something which is one of my uh, overarching visions, um, not just in, in personal career, but also professionally. Um, so I would, I would say uh, the, uh, the drive to come and make sure that you, know, you do something different and you do something different in a good way, uh, in your way of working, in the kind of products you build. And in general, um, uh, the, the sheer responsibility of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, being in a, in, a, in, a, in a position to influence people's lives. I think it's a, it's a huge responsibility. And yeah. uh, that definitely motivates me. Right, right. I'm going to dive in deeper into each of your stints in some way. And I'm going to start with, uh, with Ola Play. How did the concept of Ola Play uh, come to your mind? And how do you think you synthesize the idea around product monetization? So um, Ola Play was a product which I joined when it was almost uh, in its beta phase. So we had created a product where, um, as Ola, we wanted to uh, capture uh, the users, uh, you know, the, the, the captive 50, 60 minutes that, that they have uh, on our platform every single day, commuting from their work to their, to their home or you know, the other way around. Um, so we had these, uh, this particular insight that, uh, uh, users in, in these uh, rides that they are taking every day, um, they, uh, if, we, if we provide them with an, with an infotainment system, then it will really help us drive a competitive advantage compared to our, our nearest rivals. And um, that's the insight that we, that we built on. And um, I think in terms of the product itself, let me quickly describe it. So we, we basically have one category of cars called uh, prime play cars, where you have a tablet put inside uh, the car, and then you have broadly uh, two sets of content. One is a preloaded content. The second is live streaming content. Um, and basically, as a as a passenger, um, you can you know if you if you if you opt for a prime play ride, then you can um, consume this content. Um, and and I think a lot of Indians uh, travel with their families with their kids. So you see a lot of focus on more social content, more family-oriented content. Um, so you, so uh, if you're traveling with your kid, you have Jugno kids, and you have a bunch of these kids-focused content as well. 
um and the goal was to or the goal is rather uh, still is to create a pull for for this particular category um so uh, you could you could see that a lot of people actually ask for these rides initially we were trying to upgrade a lot of users with this because we 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 wanted to to see that the the demand yeah, there to be higher absolutely and we wanted to see the demand because this these cars are slightly more expensive like these rides are slightly more expensive but um in you know in the due course of time last you know three or four years that we've tried and we built this product now we see that a lot of people are not asking for this this ride um and so um we've tried and done a lot of these experimentations to make sure that the customer pool is there we've tried a lot of pricing levers um and um we've tried a bunch of things which which basically made our product market fit um uh, or which helped us rather achieve our product market fit um coming to the monetization bit so um when i joined uh, as i said we were about 3 months old product so we were pretty much in a, a beta phase and i think we were present in about two cities at that point of time uh, about 500 500 odd cars so we were basically uh, uh, trying to see if we can um scale this particular thing that we have built to a pan india kind of a setup and as you could imagine this is a capex heavy business so you don't really want to um you know scale a business where you don't really have a great you know kind of way of monetizing or a great go to market strategy right. so that's where i came in um my role was and i was the first person to be hired and then i had uh, basically built a team around uh, the monetization the goal was to was to see if we can start with the below hanging fruits uh, the obvious solutions and then kind of progressively build a product roadmap around it uh, and so uh, the very first month that i came i i i researched a few ideas and you know what potentially could be uh, a good fit for our uh, you know our our product and our use case and we we realized that the ads business the in-house ads business would be a great fit um and we already had a lot of capabilities internally and we had to build a lot of capabilities uh, from scratch so it was something which made a lot of sense um business wise product wise and also in terms of a long term strategy um and then uh you know we uh, created our in house ads uh, out uh, in house uh, ads business the first uh, uh, surface that we targeted was the ola play device itself yeah. where we started surfacing um bunch of ads the second surface that we targeted you know pretty uh, almost on the same time was the vyod or the consumer app so vyod stands for bring your own device and that's essentially our term for the consumer app so if you book a ride that reduces the dependency on on a capex heavy model i'm guessing yeah so absolutely so uh, it, this is a capex heavy model so um, so typically typically these devices cost uh, you know anywhere between uh, 8k to 12k so roughly around 10000 on an average so what you want as as a business person is to make sure that you are able to recover some some part of this this capex through your ads business through your through, through your pricing so you have broadly these two levers that you can take um so pricing of course is managed more centrally uh there's a central team uh, team at ola which takes care of the pricing levers uh we of course work very closely with them but um uh, you know in terms of monetization business that we are talking here it essentially was about creating this in house ads business uh and of course creating a few other revenue streams that we can talk about as well but um this was our our, our first step the first step was to create this ads business principles um, typically you know when you're when you're working in a product like this it's complicated it's competitive and uh Uh, and it's new 
right? right? What happens really in a product team? What are the kind of discussions and challenges that you're battling on a day-to-day -day basis? Ah, uh, that's a great question. Um, I think any product team uh, uh, typically uh, uh, becomes better over time when when people critique each other's ideas and uh, you. Um, so yeah, I would say there are such, uh, there are certain tenets which um, make a really healthy product team. Um, I think first is being very objective. Um, the second is being data oriented. The third is being experiment driven, and fourth is being humble. Um, and I and I feel all of four of them are super critical to be a very very strong uh, product team. And then fifth could if I can add would be being very user centric. And this also um, you know kind of depends on which product you are working on. If you're working on an internal tool, then you probably have internal stakeholders. If you're working on a consumer facing feature, then your end users are your um, or the end customers are your are your uh, you know stakeholders there. So I think the kind of discussions that that go around in any healthy product team would be, uh, uh, first would be looking at what is the goal that we, that our product has, uh, and then kind of uh, challenging ourselves to build the right set of hypotheses, which would help us, um, you know, build towards that goal that we have. So if, for example, if I have to let's say take um, uh, the example of Spotify, for example, so you have MAU goals, you you want to go after certain monthly active user targets, so. That's the overarching goal for any growth-focused team, um, and that is true for for my team as well. So, within within uh, uh, this particular goal, there are a bunch of things that you could potentially do to grow your MAU. Um, and on any average day, you would want to review or create your hypothesis and review your hypotheses, discuss them, and then based on the hypotheses, you would want to draw your experiment plan. Because some of these great companies are very very experiment driven. Um, there is no scope for subjectivity. There, you know, you try and remove subjectivity as much as you can. You try to have objective discussions. So, for us, it's super critical to make sure that um, uh, we have, uh, you know, a, a, an, an A/B test-driven path towards building products, and uh, we have iterative development cycles. So, we work in in in, in agile development. So, that's well, so in terms of strategy part, you have. You know, a bunch of things that I already spoke about. In terms of execution, it's about taking an agile, we uh, you know, way of development. What this means is that we typically have um, pretty healthy and strong discussions in our peer network. So uh, we spoke about um, the uh, peer network, which is super critical for any healthy product team. Uh, and these peers typically come from uh, engineering function, design function, insights function, depending on the the, the, the team that you are part of. And um, basically. The, the whole team, the, the whole tech product design and insights kind of uh, uh, you know uh, stakeholders really help to refine the product roadmap. They really help to um, uh, you know execute on the on the on the roadmap. Uh, and I think that's that's typically a hallmark of a great product team uh, that you have discussions which are objective. You have discussions on hypothesis. You create an experiment plan together as a team, and then you. You know, basically iterate on on the experiments that you keep on doing and you keep learning uh, and that's how great products are built i i think in my experience great products are not built in in one shot like you can't really have that magic bullet and say okay this is how uh, uh, this product will be uh, one of the best in its class it doesn't happen that way um, so you have to have that iterative process and you know typically takes you know a few months to kind of build a great product your career has spanned across uh, say very lean organizations uh, agility is part of design teams everywhere. So I'm going to just focus on lean, right? Whether it's uh, 
Wink, whether it's Ola, whether it's uh, Zeta. What made you take the leap to join uh, a large and a structured organization like Spotify? Um, I think um, Spotify is 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 lean by many standards. So I would say it's 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 um, it's an organization which is focused on quick iterations, quick development, um, and of course it is a larger organization, uh, older organization as well, uh, and more structured for sure. So I think for me, uh, you know, it was a more more of a personal decision that I wanted to have a more global uh, focus in my product and wanted to have. Uh, an impact on a much larger user base, and as you know, Spotify has more than 300 million users that that we cater to. And as part of the onboarding team, the responsibility is to take care of this, you know, crazy growth that we see in the last few years, and which will we we'll continue to see in the next few years. We, the goal is to make sure that we cater to these 300, 400 million users who go through our onboarding flows every year, uh, and and make sure that we are relevant. Uh, 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 to uh, the changing times, and um, so yeah, I, I guess for me, it's it's a it's a it's a different challenge, um, but it it definitely retains the good part of what I like in my in my way of working, which is being being iterative, being agile, and being experiment driven, and of course optimizing for a very very high impact. You know, for those who don't know or who might not be aware, uh, can you help us understand what is How are the engineering and design teams structured within an organization like Spotify? Sure, um, Spotify's uh, way of organizing teams is well documented. Um, so I would say, maybe I can cover it in brief, and folks who like to read it further can can yeah. can also go and read it later as well. I think um, if I have to sort to quickly summarize it, it would be um, you have basically a concept of squads. Um, squads are typically uh, what people usually refer to as scrum teams or agile teams. Typically, six to twelve member teams, and uh, these teams are self-sufficient. Um, they have their own engineering uh, folks from engineering, design, product, uh, user research, or user insights, and um, they typically take one particular part of the Spotify's you know, you know application, and then they try and make it better. So uh, the way the engineering team is structured is typically, uh, you know, in within each of these squads, you have folks from back end, front end, um, and then you have um, you know, folks who are uh, managing them. So it could be engineering manager or engineering director. Similarly, with with design, um, mostly uh, every squad has one designer. It depends on the squad. So if it's very very engineering heavy uh, kind of a product, you don't need a lot of a lot of design work, and you don't have a dedicated designer. Probably have a shared resource, but typically, uh, um, you know, any any user facing feature that we, or user facing squad that we have at Spotify has one heavy on design. design. Sorry, that's heavy on design. Oh, absolutely. I think um, um, it's 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 uh, it's uh, uh, true for my team for sure that uh, uh, you know we have a, a dedicated designer uh, in my team, and uh, typically um, designers, um, uh, you know, they. Are embedded in a squad, but they also have a lot of uh, design guild right there. So uh, let me kind of uh, take that uh, uh, structure a little forward. So you have squads, and we've talk, talked about it. Then you have tribes, and tribes are typically one product area or larger, uh, you know, set of kind of related problems or related squads. Typically, create a tribe, and then a, lot, a, a set of related tribes they they uh, they form a mission. Um, Mission is probably an equivalent of a business unit, as you can kind of see in the external uh, setup. And 
Um, so uh, basically, um, this is more like a vertical structure. There's also a horizontal structure, which is let's say all designers belong to the to the design guild, and this these guilds are where you have a lot of discussions on uh, you know some of the common um, you know issues or some of the common uh, uh, you know things that as a designer you would want to discuss on. So for example, what would be a, uh, your design language going forward? Or um, if you if there are, are any changes to your uh, let's say design language, then it needs to be disseminated among all designers. Uh, and we had something very 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 recently about uh, three or four months ago. So um, these are these design uh, guilds that these designers are, are are part of. Same goes for engineers. Same goes for uh, product managers. And one great thing within Spotify is that every two weeks you have a meeting of. Um, you know, uh, it could be a meeting at a more company-wide level, which is, I would say, rare. Uh, uh, more common is you're meeting at a mission or a tribe level, where you have folks, let's say in my case, product managers across the board in my tribe or in my you know, mission who come together. We, we have show and tell kind of a format. So you come and you, you uh, present something. Or if uh, your product leads are trying to um, let's say disseminate some information. It could be a strategy discussion, or it could be, uh, let's say, the results of a very critical experiment that we want to discuss with everybody. So these, these, these I would say, the formats are more defined. The, the, the contents of each of these meetings can vary depending on you know the meeting itself. But uh, it's a very healthy practice. It helps you to kind of have both horizontal and vertical communication. In your how uh, how challenging. Uh, you know, Spotify stands a lot on uh, designing for human experience. How much of an emphasis is there on a day-to-day -day basis or a week-on-week -week basis on trying to build something that creates some sort of a human impact? I think pretty much every discussion that we have is is about making sure that we are a human-centric uh, 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 product and we stay relevant to that. So if you, if you look at our vision statement, if you look at our mission statement, we're talking about making sure that we... Um, we basically allow a huge set of users to uh, get entertained and a huge set of creators to create the content and live off live off that content. So on both the aspects, one uh, so we clearly have outlined our stakeholders in our mission and vision, which is the creators and the consumers. Each of each of the spot each of Spotify's product teams um, are, you know, essentially uh, trying to make the lives of both the stakeholders easier, better, uh, and so. Uh, a large part of, of ensuring that comes from the design itself because you know you could have a great product you could have a great hypothesis but if it's poorly designed then it, it really defeats the whole purpose so I would say design comes at the forefront of any great product team or any great uh, you know kind of scrum team and I feel um, at Spotify of course um, there is a, a lot of focus on doing a lot of these user research uh, to understand what are the users needs there's a lot of focus on testing our, our designs and prototypes before they actually go into uh, your production. And, and so sometimes this could mean that we take a slightly longer time to ship up a particular feature, but, but that's okay. Uh, and that's okay because we feel that um, you know, uh, the, the role of a product manager in most cases is not to ship, but deciding what not to ship. Uh, and I think that's 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 super critical um, because when you put five great minds together, they'll come up with fifty features. But right. the goal is to is to not ship fifty. The goal is to ship maybe let's say two. Um, is it down to your decision, uh, at least for the team that you head, in terms of what goes out and what doesn't? For sure, uh, the end the end uh, uh, responsibility stays with the uh, with the product manager. 
Um, but having said that, as I mentioned, we have a very healthy uh, tech product design and insight. So we call it TPDI. Um, so we have a very healthy TPDI group, which uh, meets every week, uh, which goes through a lot of these um, you know, discussions on, on roadmap, on features, and what to ship, what not to ship. Uh, experiments, uh, uh, you know, results of experiments. So a lot of these discussions happen as a group. Uh, but yeah, I would say uh, in terms of formal responsibility, it's it it, it ends with the uh, with the product product manager of the team. You you mentioned you lay high emphasis on on user research. How exactly do you go about doing this research? Is it on the product in itself, or is it also qualitative research by trying and reaching out to people who are uh, targets and and users of Spotify? Yeah. So actually, we start with the end user research, uh, and this is an ongoing process. So it's not uh, just done for a particular product feature launch. It's something that you keep doing as part of uh, you know understanding your your users' needs better. Um, and uh, being a very dynamic company, we have a lot of changes into our product, into our content, into our formats uh, that keeps on going, and uh, it, that has been true for the last decade, and that will. Uh, uh, you know, probably be true for the next ten years as well, which is um, you really uh, have a set of users whose needs and and whose demands keep changing for over a period of time, and so you want to be relevant to that. Um, so we do a lot of these user research where we, um, uh, you know, have a more of a diary study. So we have multiple formats. So for example, you could have a diary study where you could have same set of users, you know, giving you feedback over let's say one month. And, uh, they could use their product. Uh, they could they could give you uh, a lot more personal insights as well on on how they use their, your product, what they do in a typical day, personal things like that. You, then you have the other format where you have focus group discussions, which is pretty standard. You you have a bunch of users come in and try your product, or um, you or it could be let's say not even just a product. You could just be um, trying to understand how users think about a particular feature, and so it could be very open ended, and you know you could. Um, just be monitoring users from a from an outside uh, from an outsider's perspective, and then try and read read between lines. The third format is um, where you have individual users, um, you know, either playing around with a prototype that you've built, or it could be an in, you know one-on-one -on -one user interview where, if if a if a product manager if a, if a designer wants to know more about the user's psyche, um, then they can they can they can book those sessions and uh, those get done, and um, uh, I would say that's, of course, the more user research focused uh, side of the story. You, you always have surveys going out, which are uh, more slightly more generic, more more broader, but they help to get feedback at scale. So Spotify being the mammoth it is, are you ever challenged uh, to make a decision between what makes better sense for user experience uh, or, the, or the human impact that you're trying to create from a design standpoint versus uh, a decision that drives more revenue or uh, business to uh, to the brand. Sure, absolutely. I think this this is essential for uh, for any company to uh, take care of both sides of the story. One um, one side, of course, as you said, is making sure that we build what is the right thing to build or the right feature to build. And second uh, is making sure that we optimize for revenue or for for metrics. And I would say sometimes these two can be at loggerheads. Uh, yeah. Usually they're not uh, because you believe that if you build a great product with uh, with a user need, then you know the revenue or whatever you're chasing for will come naturally. But yes, there could be uh, you know cases, and of course there have been cases like that uh, as well uh, at Spotify or even prior to Spotify. 
uh, at um, you know even even more agile companies, more smaller companies like like Zeta, uh, Ola, or you know Hike Messenger. So these places where I've worked, I, I could see uh, sometimes we need to really take a decision where we have to either um, kind of you know optimize for a user experience or we have to optimize for a particular metric. I can give you one example. Um, so let's say if um, uh, again uh, I can't really quote the company, but uh, there was a there was an instance where we had to give a free um, you know, trial to our users, uh, and that free trial costed us you know, a significant amount. This is from a user research standpoint. Uh, this was from a user research standpoint, and then we actually eventually when we built the product, we had the same dilemma there as well because it some some of these things cannot be solved purely from user research. You know, you you really have to test. Correct. And, and then get feedback. So yeah. for for us, uh, the situation arise. Then we had to give a free trial to users, and um, it was I think a fifteen day kind of a free trial. Um, of course, these come with certain cost implications, and uh, you also uh, don't want users to uh, you know forever be in the free tier. You want them to kind of to the to the, to the paid tier, and um, you know by giving uh, this free uh, trial. The the paid conversion, the free to paid conversion, it definitely took a hit. Uh, and as a as an as an organization, uh, you are you know chasing revenue. You are trying to get more users to be paid users. So some of these um, uh, were, I mean, I would say uh, factors that we considered. But we also realized that because we were entering certain markets where users are used to kind of you know having completely free tier. Uh, and so we had to, to to design something which is catered to that particular audience, uh, which um, you know kind of uh, solves or is built around the expectation, and then gradually take them towards that path of uh, you know uh, becoming from a free user to a, to a paid user. So I would say user experience uh, or uh, users' needs are always at the forefront, and you might have to take some intelligent and smart decisions to uh, uh, you know make sure that. You you handle both facets, user experience and your company's you know keep the KPIs and try and, and and merge them together into one coherent uh, strategy. So I think yeah, this, I mean, this is a classic case uh, of uh, you know design versus business being at loggerheads and 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 you have to find a way out to resolve it. Absolutely, and I'm, I I can keep, I can quote one more example, uh, one which comes to the top of my mind right now where. We had uh, to optimize for what uh, features we put on a particular screen, um, and uh, you know, of course, there is a strong demand from some of the more business-oriented stakeholders to put more features. For example, right. um, this typically happens when you are, um, you know, trying to push, let's say, your your top-selling product features with, let's say, some of your new features and try and bundle them together and then right. try and uh, showcase it to users because. In today's times, users have very limited attention span. Correct. You 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 don't want uh, to kind of um, you know uh, optimize for um, just having your top selling features at the, at the beginning or you know at at the critical junctures of your of your product. So you would have a lot of these requests coming from you know business teams in 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 some cases that can we push this particular thing as well on this uh, particular screen. But then it's as a product team as as a design team. It's super critical to be aware of the user's goals, and and I and, I, and as I said, I, uh, the hallmark of a healthy team is that you are very objective. You take a goal for the product or the feature or the screen that you're owning, 
and then you go after that particular goal only and then you kind of don't dilute your, your focus uh sure there can be let's say a one off case where you do make certain let's say time critical adjustments let's say you have a huge new product launch and you want to let's say target your onboarding flows for telling users that we have this new feature but that cannot be the the, the norm in our thing uh that can be more of an exception a more of a time based exception so let's say you have some of those things uh or some of those announcements related things on your onboarding flow for maybe a day or a week uh but of course that should not be uh, in my opinion the kind of the dominant strategy how do you benchmark do you benchmark basis the mission that you started out uh to gun for or do you benchmark basis what the product's business journey is supposed to end at uh i think benchmarking uh, uh kind of has multiple connotations so you can either benchmark your product performance uh you can you can benchmark how um uh, you know you are doing uh, again on in your product performance against your competition you can also benchmark on what goals you took and how much you have achieved so there can be uh, i would say multiple ways of doing that uh, it 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 totally depends on which feature we are we are we're talking about so if let's say uh, i build a feature which is um let's say supposed to make users onboarding faster let's say at at, at qualify if that's my goal yeah then i would i would go ahead and 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 measure my my performance in benchmark it uh, uh to let's say the time that i thought would be sufficient to kind of take the user through through that uh, uh, onboarding flow Correct. so if i say everybody should should finish their onboarding in in 60 seconds then that's what i i benchmark so i took a goal at, at the beginning and i then i benchmark everything against that and that does uh, align with monetization in some way i would say yes and no because uh some of because if if you uh, as I, as i said it's more subjective because if you are in the onboarding flow your direct impact on monetization is very very small um but if you are let's say a, a team which um takes care of free to premium conversion in 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 spotify or if let's say anywhere for example yeah, if yeah, you yeah. are trying to 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 go after a more direct revenue impact feature then it's 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 super critical uh that you kind of have both these uh factors you know in your decision making which is one is what is your product supposed to do um if it's supposed to take users into um let's say if if it's supposed to give users some information and then if it's supposed to um also uh, uh see if the users convert to your paid tier then you have both the goals um your primary goal could be um you know or you could primarily benchmark yourself on what percentage of users end up becoming paid users correct that could be your primary goal but your secondary goal could also be um that you know the information that we wanted to give to our users or the kind of activities that we wanted the users to do prior to converting into a uh, paid user so you want to kind of all, also kind of look at that uh so it 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 totally depends on what's your objective for that particular screen or which part of the product you are you know kind of building for yeah so uh, across across each of your experiences uh, rakshit have you how how massive or how heavy is the reliance on data and 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 there is a there, there are a lot of misconceptions that designers have around accepting data to build in uh, to product design have you come across any of them Uh, absolutely i think uh, let me first address the importance of data in marketing i think data again two parts qualitative quantitative both of them super critical um qu- qualitative we've spoken about uh, already a bit so i'll probably uh, uh, mo- focus more on the quantitative uh, bit i think um the whole aspect or the whole philosophy of agile is built around iterative development 
uh, and i would say everywhere that i have worked on and even the companies that have not worked but we kind of look up to they are all working in iterative development uh, they can call it with different names but essentially it's all agile development fundamental concept remains the same absolutely and um, i guess uh, if you look at the way various stakeholders uh, consume this you know kind of uh, uh, you know iterative uh, development and the output of it so essentially you you have uh, let's say a set of experiments that you have launched and then you get some early reads these could be ab tests be you know uh, basically experiments that you are trying to run the right. data which comes out of it as different stakeholders you will have different usage of that data as a product manager i could for example look more into the whole funnel aspect like if let's say if i created a product i want to see how many users you know tried that product or how many users got exposed to that particular feature how many of them ended up trying it and so on and so forth um as a as a as an engineer you are more focused towards looking at whether the systems work properly or not whether you're getting the right uh, kind of data logging um uh, whether uh, the screens are getting rendered properly bunch of those kind of things so as a as a designer your uh, core focus is to make sure that whatever you have uh, uh, you know kind of put in terms of your screens whatever hypothesis that you are trying to to test by building a particular screen whether those hypotheses are getting tested or not so if if it's a if it's a feature which uh, uh, you know let's say for example you have built you have shipped uh and you are trying you are seeing that users are not clicking on a particular button so then you could see that probably this is a uh, something which is either not very clear in terms of uh the way the the, the button is placed um the, uh, the the kind of message that is being kind of put out on that screen so essentially you could either have uh you know handicap your usability of your particular uh, you know feature or it could be around communication so uh, i think as a as a as a designer it's it's super critical to consume as many data points as you can uh which are relevant to your particular you know set of hypotheses that you are testing out because in my opinion any great product designer um has uh, a more hypothesis driven approach so uh we could we could say that you know what if i if i give this button this particular color it would create this kind of emotion in the mind of the user and so the user would end up clicking on this 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 particular uh, you know button more or you could say by uh, having a very kind of a smooth scrolling uh, you know uh, 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 the features which are not above the fold but let's say below the fold would also get discovered um so you could have a lot of these hypotheses and i think these are central to a great design principle yeah and um if you if you are if you are looking that you know when you when you when you do an ab test that use that the the data is not as per what you are expecting then that kind of should should probe your thinking a bit and say what exactly are am i doing wrong can i do a follow up uh, you know kind of a discussion with some of the users who have tried this and see if the hypothesis that that i as a designer went ahead and designed this product with maybe those hypotheses are not true or maybe um uh the hypothesis are true everything is fine but the user is using the product in a very different way uh and um some of the examples or at least one example that i can think of is when we were building a particular feature during my time at hype messenger and um we ended up building a feature uh everybody had great hopes for that feature we had tested it out uh, so it was banned by user research as well but when we shipped it we realized that a lot of uh, the KPIs or the performance indicators that we were trying to kind of optimize for, they were not hitting anywhere close to the target. And when we kind of did a follow-up user research session, we figured out that a lot of users were on poor network. 
So a lot of those features were not getting rendered for them. Uh, and we had our feature kind of required the designs to be loaded in real time. Some of those icons, et cetera, were kind of you know, uh, uh, not preloaded. So some of these things could also be impacting your product's uh, usability. So even if you have a great design, um, you, you could probably end up uh, uh, you know, kind of not having the kind of impact that you're looking for. So some of these discussions, some of these decisions are, uh, are also uh, uh, you know, kind of get refined. They get more clear as you build uh, along. So as a designer, you suppose, you're, you're definitely supposed to um, you know, be open to this qualitative and quantitative feedback that uh, you, you get from the experiments. You, you make uh, a lot of valid points in, in, a, in a designer's or a product manager's journey to be able to uh, pick and choose uh, which path to, uh, to take while finalizing on the features and design. Uh, you know, one thing that uh, I've been wanting to ask you, across each of these companies, which has been the most challenging project uh, or, or, or a week or an assignment that you worked on? Ah, that's a that's a difficult one. I think in terms of um, in, in terms of challenges, I feel every rule has been super challenging uh, because it pushes you out of your comfort zone and makes you think something different. I would say um, probably my time at Hike uh, Messenger was uh, very challenging um, because we were trying to build for. You know, people who were in a very different age bracket. So Hike oh. is a messaging application built for, you know, young adults and, you know, people who are there, late teenagers. So building products for uh, for that TG is, in my opinion, very difficult uh, because if you don't, if you can't relate to that TG, it's difficult to kind of, you know, uh, decide what their expectations, what their needs are. And so we have to rely a lot on this user research. Um, and the and the good thing and the bad thing about user research is it tells you a lot of things, but it also hides a lot of things from you. Yeah. So as a product manager, as a designer, you really need to read between the lines. Correct. Correct. This happened. This happened very early in my career, so I probably wasn't as nuanced as probably what I am now. But you know, five six years ago, I would say uh, a lot of these um, uh, you know things that we took on face value initially were not true. Um, so we had to read between the lines, uh, understand. A lot on the emotional aspect of things. Uh, understand how I can, um, you know, focus on the body language of the of the responder, uh, and um, kind of just quietly observe how they play around with your application. That, in my opinion, gives a lot of uh, rich insights that maybe people might not be able to articulate very well when you ask them that you want this or did you enjoy this particular feature or not. So I feel. Uh, because of these reasons, and of course, a bunch of other reasons. So, uh, I'm, we're talking about a period when um, uh, you know users would not upgrade their application. So, almost 40% of your users would be on older versions. So, backward compatibility used to be a very strong kind of a, a you know a theme back then. Uh, and also things like uh, you build a, you build a, a very great feature, but your audiences are on a poor network. Uh, I gave the example of uh, of time at at, at hike and that time india was largely on 2g 3g was just catching up so it limited your ability to create you know more data heavy features which required uh, you know some of these um, features to be rendered in real time for example so i would say it it definitely constrained your product thinking but then what it it also did was it it helped us to kind of work with those constraints and really appreciate that 
no matter what tools you have available at the end of the day you have to solve for a user's needs that doesn't change so we had to kind of really find tricky and i would say interesting ways in, in, in some cases to make sure that our products are discovered that our products are used uh, and then we take the right feedback from the users as well so yeah for all those reasons i would say hike messenger for sure would be right 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 at, at, the, at the top so each of these uh, stints has actually been has come at a time where whether it's hike whether it's wink uh, or whether it's ola uh, at least in india are trying to create something very very new and uh, user adoption or other uh, you know awareness amongst them is relatively lower and i'm and i'm sure those would have been challenging by themselves now that you move away from india into a more globally outlooked organization uh, and when you look back at what's happening across india what do you think is product design evolving overall and and do you think there is still a massive gap for us to catch up i would say um yes to some extent um i mean i have a lot of respect for companies that are doing sure, absolutely without without taking that away sure so yeah i mean i think um if i if i were to look at a more evolved kind of setup like you know, think about google or, or spotify or facebook i think the if i were to kind of only discuss the design aspect of things yeah. i feel that some of these products uh, are designed for simplicity uh something which is pretty obvious but i could see that when we look at some of the more uh, uh kind of you know, companies in india i think the focus is sometimes create and add and cram more features on a particular screen that they kind of make it simple is it is it because the markets in india are so much more competitive i would say maybe that's one reason uh, uh because markets are competitive i could say that it's also sometimes herd behavior like you could see your competitors doing that and you tend to kind of also copy that and i'm not saying that just because you are a designer i'm saying that because as product managers you are benchmarking your product to maybe the wrong the wrong product or at least you are not picking the good things only you are also picking the bad things from a, from a, from, a, from a competitor and and this happens like you when you are trying to uh go for parity with your competitors you end up taking a lot of good ideas and eventually some some bad ones also creep in i would say nobody no user in my in my experience so far likes too many things on their screen it's absolutely not on but i have definitely seen some of them uh, and i keep playing with a lot of applications uh, yeah. uh, uh, yeah. you know just to kind of see how the, the product managers and designers are thinking uh, and i see that uh, one mistake i would say 9 9 out of 10 times and it kind of really kind of hits you as a as a product manager in your face that this product if i were a user i would never use it because i'm not able to get the central message from this particular screen or the particular this uh, is too much chaos on the screen yes so so too much chaos uh, that's that's definitely one i would say uh, and i think the, the world has kind of definitely taken that leap already of moving towards a deliberate simplicity as i call it yeah. um so people think in in many ways but when you actually put down uh, in a sheet of paper and then when you ship something uh, as your as a product then the goal is to make sure that you take away then you know more than you kind of add um that's one i think the second is um the human centric design feature so which is you always um you know are trying to uh, make sure that you your you know the the way your product is is designed is ergo is ergonomically kind of designed well so it's for example your key controls are near your thumb uh so that users don't have to kind of you know physically 
um, switch from the bottom of, of their screen to the top of the screen. I see some of these mistakes happening again uh, in in some of the uh, young Indian companies. Uh, whereas in the US, I would say probably or not just not just US, but in the more Western kind of product, I would say these mistakes I don't see them. So the focus on design there is also very very human centric. So um, yeah, as I said, keeping the, the key controls near your thumb. Also, I think um, because we have better uh, phones and better devices and, and, and so on and so forth. So um, in, the, in, the, in the more Western kind of um, products, you see that they are also going after very, very rich features, uh, more multimedia heavy. Um, you also have smoother transitions. So in India, it's, it's I think because of uh, uh, you know, some of the markets not being on the best of the phones, or the best of the networks. Yeah. As a, as a designer, it's also important uh, to also create for uh, you know these transitions uh, between multiple states, uh, also error states. Uh, I think um, just looking at the sheer number of uh, error states that we used to have, you know, till about a year ago when I was working here, um, I would say um, the error states themselves were a lot. Uh, 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 you know, because of the reasons that I already mentioned. So, for a, for a designer to handle that scenario also becomes very important. Um, and I think, in just in terms of general trends that I have also observed, uh, I, I think um, the focus is on um, yeah, I, as I mentioned, simplicity. But the focus is also is on on consistency uh, of of design. Uh, uh, you know, when I see a more global trend. Um, so, for example. Uh, at Spotify, very recently, we made a decision to uh, kind of unify some of our design um, user interfaces, um, and I think that kind of cuts across uh, the um, the different uh, you know surfaces that you have on your application, and and, and I think uh, this particular thing, which um, which which I see is uh, going after consistency of your of your design all across the board. I think I think sometimes when we kind of also look at uh, uh, companies which are young. This is not just true for India, but in general, young companies. Yeah. Typically, what ends up happening is uh, your one part of the application looks very different from the other part Correct. because there is not a very there, there is a lack of a very strong design language yes. in your in your application. Absolutely. And this you could see uh, again. I don't want to take names, but there was a there was a product which I was trying to study a lot. Uh, it was gaining a lot of traction in India uh, a couple of years ago. And I was trying to understand, um, uh, you know, how I can, if I were to do it, how, would, how I would do it better. The, the very first thing that kind of came to my mind is I would make it consistent because the onboarding looked like it was designed by somebody else. And then the core home, home experience looked very different. And then some other parts looked very different from the other. Seamlessness rises to the surface in, in those cases. Absolutely. And there are a bunch of studies uh, which are done uh, you know, over a period of time which suggest that if you are consistent in your, in your user interface, in your color schema, you know, those kind of things, then, you're, then the chances of the user interacting with your product and kind of uh, taking out what you really want them to take out of that application, that those chances become much better. The user, uh, you know, if you have multiple uh, inconsistencies in the way that the product is, is, is designed, then the user undo, you know, kind of puts get, uh, gets under some sort of a stress in their in their in their mind, which they can't articulate because it's a very subliminal process, uh, and that ends up restricting your your product adoption. So I would say that some of these things are more, um, I would say, more fundamental to human nature, and um, uh, the better the companies realize these and uh, 
the, the better they kind of optimize for these, uh, the better their products will end up. Rakshil, I'm going to go uh, towards the end of uh, this conversation and, and I want to ask a little more uh, from a personal opinion standpoint that you would have, right? What is the ideal mix of work culture that an organization should provide for a design team to thrive at its best? I think uh, designers should be independent. That's the first thing that comes to my mind because you don't want your, your designers to be constrained by um, uh, you know, business logic or product logic, at least when they are doing their initial iterations. Because there are many times when I have seen that um, product managers uh, end up defining the design goals. That should not be the case. And it should be the other way around. The designer should come up with the design goals or the design philosophy, and then the product manager, uh, you know, should collaborate and create the right, uh, you know, set of product plus design principles, like a combined set. So I think independence is one. Uh, in terms of work culture, the second is making sure that the designers are looped into discussions early. So collaboration is is super critical. Yes. Um, I, I I have done that mistake myself. You know, when I was starting off my career, that you have the what I uh, uh, you know uh, laugh, jokingly call as the hero uh, uh, principle. That we all, especially product managers, end up thinking ourselves as we are the heroes, and we'll end up doing everything, and then we'll loop in people who will just support us. I think that's the wrong way of thinking about it. And I learned it very early in my career, you know, seven, eight years ago, that it's the other way around. Your job as a product manager is to collaborate and bring in people who bring expertise into these things, um, design or engineering. So I feel looping in or, or collaborating with the designers at the, very, at the very early stages is super critical. So what, what I mean by that is, let's say if you are a product manager, you're trying to write down the hypotheses. Maybe it's the right time to loop in the designer because they can only help refine the hypothesis. I have had uh, the, the privilege of some of the some of the most amazing designers work with me, and yeah. they have made my, my hypothesis so much better than what I could, you know, kind of write as an individual. Um, and in my opinion, writing the right set of hypothesis is almost seventy percent of, of the job of a, a good product manager. Because if your hypotheses are not so good, then everything that happens downstream, your experiments will be suboptimal, your product features will be suboptimal. So it's really important. So I would say looping uh, and collaborating with your design function um, at the, at, as early as possible. I would leave it to the, uh, to the people to kind of make those interpretations on their own. But in my opinion, pretty much at the hypothesis stage is when I uh, uh, you know, tend to have the design function uh, work together. The third thing uh, I feel is um, the, um, the focus on um, going after users and doing user research um, day in, day out is, 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 uh, is what I would recommend. Uh, any great uh, work culture that I've been a part of, or in fact, every great work culture that I've been a part of, everywhere, the designers were given complete creative freedom. They were also given complete freedom to go out and speak to users, uh, you know, invite users over, have um, design sessions, um, uh, or prototyping sessions rather, uh, where they would uh, test out their ideas. And these ideas are not, um, you know, uh, or at least not all of these ideas are supposed to be shipped. Some right. of these ideas are also for learning. Yeah. Um, so as a designer, if, if, if I were to kind of uh, discard 10 ideas, the best way of discarding them and learning from those 10, you know, failed iterations is just testing it out with the, with the, with the users. 
Um, if, if you go around their office and speak to 50 users or 50, you know, of your peers, that's in my opinion not the not the right way of right. testing your your designs because you will get a biased feedback. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, that and I think finally a great work culture invests a lot in designers. Uh, I can think about uh, uh, Zeta or uh, uh, Ola or even uh, Spotify. Designers um, they attend a lot of these you know um, seminars and. Uh, sessions, they read a lot of books, and all of these are facilitated um, are by the organization. So I would say um, some some organizations uh, don't actively promote it, but the folks themselves kind of organize and, 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 and do it. But a great work culture should actually and actively incentivize this behavior. And that's not just true for designers, it's true for, for product and engineering companies. So uh, at, uh, in, in, my, in my product managers, I, I've always, uh, uh, you know, emphasized on continuous learning, uh, and for designers, that is equally applicable. Rakshir, this is this has been great. Uh, I, I think all your views uh, have gotten such detail and depth. Uh, it's going to be phenomenal for people to to go through this and understand so much more through your perspective. Thank you so much for being a part of Design Grid, and uh, I'm really glad we could host you. Thanks, thanks, Rakshir. Thanks for having me. Uh, all the best to all your. You are a